Hello, how you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. enjoyed the first half yes it's friday it's friday i was gonna say it feels weird saying it's friday when we start the podcast but one it's been so long since we've actually spoken and two days of the week what do they mean at the moment not too much um but look let us crack on if you haven't listened to part one i urge you go back listen to part one before you do this otherwise You'll be joining up the dots and failing miserably. Loads of things won't make sense. And the first part was incredible uh, because it's Lenny. And he's he's so eloquent and passionate and witty and intelligent and just really, really good company. So let's get back to it. This is part two of the Two Shot Podcast with Lenny James. Enjoy and I shall see you in a bit someone was asking me the other day um what with you know the pandemic and always how hard it is prior to all this 20 this year this nonsense um for drama students anyway but then i was thinking about all the young uns graduating now yeah and someone said, how do you... Th-? I said, I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea because I know how hard it is at the best of times, yeah. let alone now. I mean, it's... Um, I, I was speaking to a mate of mine the other day whose kid was at a drama school that had to lock down, had to stop. Yeah. And, you know, go viral and stuff, and they didn't get back in time for kind of graduation. So even all of the stages, you know, getting an agent, um, getting your um, first job kind of... I mean, what is this year's crop of drama students going to do now? I fucking... I've no fucking idea. There's no, there's no way you can... T- you know, there's no way you can teach drama on Zoom. It just... No. It just... And there's um, no way you can, you can sort of do a showcase over yeah. Zoom. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's. Um, I mean, I'm. I'm really very glad that I went to drama school. But Jesus Christ, it was hard. It's particularly the first year. First year. Tell me, was, tell was, me about the first year, man. I was just a. Um, I went to the Guild Hall. Um, if you don't know the Guild Hall, it's right in. It was. I think it still is actually. It, yeah, it is. It's in the Barbican. Yeah. It's right next door to... I mean, so it's in the richest square mile for a start. It's in the richest square mile in the entire country. It's right bang in the middle, middle of the city. It's the home... was the home of the RSE. I don't know if they're still there. And, um, and I... I remember having a, um, a heated discussion with um, Lucy, who was a director who ran the youth theatre that I was a part of, who ran the Lyric Youth Theatre. And Mm. I remember I had said that I wanted to go to drama school and she was adamant that I shouldn't, that they would 
take away all the things that would make me me and all the things that were different and that they would have you speaking differently, Lenny, and, and you know, ch- churn you out as, you know, a RP speaking kind of wannabe RSC actor. And, uh, and I was adamant that, that no one was going to do that and that I wouldn't allow that to, to, to happen. But also I was, again, in kind of having the conversation, I was forced to come up with the reasons why I wanted to go to drama school. And it was because I just was, particularly when I was at the, um, the National Youth Theatre and you were doing their, their coursework that you that you did in kind of small small groups. Everybody had these points of reference that I had no idea about. I had no knowledge of Strindberg or Ibsen or you know not a passing knowledge of Shakespeare, but you know nothing. You know, I my knowledge, all these things that they would talk about or that they would reference as everybody knows that I didn't know. So I was very clear about the fact that I was going to drama school to learn. I was going to drama school so to it was read. About, it, it was about education. It was absolutely about education. It was the yeah. knowledge. I, it was one of the things that was important to my foster family because I needed to be, if I was going to go and do this, take this risk, um, I needed to do it properly mm. um, and make sure that it wasn't seen as a jolly, that it wasn't seen as me just wasting my time prancing around pretending to be a streaky bacon. And, um, and so I had to, I, you know, I, I went at it like, in my head, I went at it like it was kind of serious. Mm. Um, and which, you know, and which, you know, again, going into a new environment, I just kind of... Closed in, shut down a little bit. Closed in, shut down. Yeah, yeah. Would just watch, I'd just be, you know, the guy kind of watching in everything... And uh, yeah, didn't really kind is, of speak much, is, but didn't didn't feel comfortable there. I, although I was one of three three black people in my year. Um, of a year of how many? What 25, 20, 25, 26. 25? It was two, right. and then it be it was two of us, and then it became three. And there were other black guys and girls in the um, the other two years above us when I first got there. But it wasn't particularly working class. It wasn't, uh, there weren't, there wasn't anybody, there weren't too many people that I could kind of uh, uh, feel kind of comfortable with and around. I felt exposed because that's kind of what drama school is asking you to be um, and didn't feel like I had, there, there was anybody watching my back, but luckily, it was um, it was the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, and um, and there were there were guys there who were part of the Reggae Philharmonic. There were guys there who were part of Courtney Pine's band who were on the jazz course. Omar um, was there as well. Steve yeah, Williamson. Of was was there as well so i i tended to grab <laughs> i would gravitate certainly in the first year i gravitated basically um to where the black folk were and just kind of um went up onto my cor- corridor um as little as possible and i didn't know the rules of engagement either really so if they were you know particularly in the year above me 
there were um, the guys who were the big personalities of the year. Their thing was about taking the piss out of everybody. And, um, and I played a lot of rugby, kind of went to an all-boys school. Um, so I was used to people taking the piss out of it, yeah. t- taking the piss out of you. But it felt like when I would come back at them in the way that you would do in a South London school, they felt really threatened. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I don't mean it. I don't want to be intimidated. You're, Sorry. you're all right, mate. You're all right. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, well, I'm just joking. Just like you, you know, when I threatened to, you know, break your neck. I'm just kidding. Um, it wasn't like that. But it, 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 there was that kind of sense that they were making assumptions about me that weren't about me. And, mm. um, and that just felt uh, uncomfortable for a bit. I grew into it. And, um, and like I said, I'm very, very glad that I went to drama school. But that first year of, of just how out of my depth I felt um, took, a, took a while to kind of get used to. Luckily, I ended up with a a couple of mates when I left home and moved in with my mate Richie and my mate Andy um, who were in my year at drama school and um, we moved to a really damp flat in Tulse Hill but we had a laugh and we kind of, we looked after each other and, yeah. um, and, helped, and helped, um, helped us get through it really. And you, was it towards the end of the first year that you, you felt that you built yourself up a bit more? Um, or did it take a bit longer into going into It was weird tape? because I was, I was still part of the theatre company, that, the youth theatre company um, that was run by Lucy at the young, at the, um, Lyric. Uh, at the Lyric and yeah. Hammersmith. And, um, and I was writing for them by that point. And, um, oh, is, and that I met you, my, is, that, is that when you started writing then? Um, I started or... writing when I was right after I did my first play. When I, I did my first play... Um, when I was, like I said, 15, 16. Yeah. And, um, and hanging out with all of the, you know, kids who want to be actors or want to work in theatre, we ended up talking about, about plays. And I don't know how the conversation came up. I can't remember, but, you know, it came up to, do you think you could write a play? And I said, I think I could write a play. And one of the guys said, I bet you can't. And I went, I bet I could. So I went and wrote a play. And, um, and I wrote it in longhand upstairs in my bedroom at my foster family's house. I um, wrote it in longhand up in my bedroom and then I went to the South London Press newspaper in the classified to find someone who would type it up for me. And then I got, then I found someone who typed it up. She was a bit lost on some of the colloquialisms, but she typed it up for me. And, um, and then I entered it into the National Youth Theatre Playwriting Competition and it won. <laughs> no way! Yeah. It Fuck, won. I didn't know this. And then, um, and I was, I was kind of, it won, I won the award. I shared it with another writer who's now a director called Ed Kemp. And we were jointly um, uh, awarded the prize of most promising playwrights under 21 for 1983 or something like that. Wow. And then, so then I was like, oh, I, I, I suppose I, I can write plays now. And, um, and then I, I was—I remember being at home and getting a phone call from a lady from Faber and Faber, 
who said, I'm just reaching, I'm just contacting you for your biog at the back of the book. And I said, the the what now? And they went, we were just like, we've got a bit of a biography about you and we just wondered whether or not this, you were okay with this. And I went, what is this for? And she said, has no one told you? And I went, no, no, what, what, what is it? And she said, we're publishing your play. And I said, I said, sorry? She said, yes, Faber and Faber are publishing your play in an anthology of new and up-and-coming playwrights and your play's being included. And I went, when did that happen? And she went, We've, I'm surprised no one's kind of, and literally no one had told me until she phoned up about this biog. And, uh, um, and as it turned out, one of the judges on the, for the National Youth Theatre was the critic for the finance theatre critic for the financial times and he was asked by faber and faber to recommend new and up-and-coming playwrights and he decided to to kind of pick me and it was for that period of time it was it it was it was crazy so i i auditioned for my first ever play and i got it and then i wrote my first play and it won the competition and then it got published and um, because it won the competition and I was one of the few winners from London, I went on Capital Radio to on their kind of afternoon drive time show to talk about being a South London kid who's just won this playwriting competition. Yeah. And I talked to them about it. And then when I was leaving, the producer stopped me and went, do you go to the theatre much? And I go, I do. Yeah, because my mates are doing plays and things. And they go, do you fancy being our fringe theatre critic? And I went... Sorry? And they said, we'll pay you 10 quid a minute of every time that for, for when you're on the radio. I went, yes, yes, Absolutely. Yes. And then all of a sudden, uh, for about, must have been about a year or so, um, once a month, I would go in and on this same show and I was Capital Radio's fringe theatre critic for, for a little bit. I was 17 years old. Oh, my God, that is amazing. I was like, this is all right. I can do this, and um, so I mean, I mean that obviously helped with my shyness and my um, and my confidence, just because you know it was good. And then you know, I I think it was um, auditioning to drama school that kind of put an end to being able to be on the radio and and all of that really. And also, I was only ever going to see my mates in plays and giving them great reviews. <laughs> You're um, the best critic ever. I was best critic. I mean, people would like, you know, people would go, he's in, he's in. Um, so, yeah, I did that for a bit and um, and then, you know, kind of went to drama school, got an agent and, and, uh, and was kind of working from the moment I left school, really. You, were, you touched upon... Um, you know, that there was very few sort of black people in your year or the year above and who you would mix with. What about teachers? Was that predominantly white, like the tutors that were there? Yeah, all of them. I'm trying to think if I've just told you a lie. No, so I was thinking about, you know, you know, like in third year sometimes when guest directors come in or in yeah. second year guest people come in, I was just wondering if anybody came in. No, what we did have is Art Malik. Um, lovely who, Art Malik. Yeah, lovely Art Malik, um, who was massive kind of heartthrob at that time. I think he had done Passage I, to India. 
Right, so it was Pastor into Jewel in the Crown sort of Jewel in the Crown, yes, that was it. And yeah. uh, and he and he was a fine-looking man, and all and he came in to give us a kind of seminar on acting on camera. Yeah. And um and I remember I remember he he was he was really interesting, but that was as close that was about as close as it got. Um but one of the things that the guild hall allowed you to do was um and very few people is that they Again, when I was at drama school, I because we um, I was part of the Lyric Youth Theatre. There was a period where the Lyrics um, uh, um, studio space, um, just because of when a show was finishing and when a new show was coming up, um, they were going to be dark, have nothing in there for um, a month or something, um, and they offered the space to us. Right. They just said, if you want to do something in there, you can, you can do something. So, uh, so um, a couple of us wrote plays, and I um, wrote a play for um, for that time in the in the youth theatre, which ended up being the play um, that me and my missus got together doing. She was part of the youth theatre. I wrote a play about someone who looked like me going out with someone who looked like her. And we ended up doing a play, two-hander play together. And then first time we did it, we weren't together. Second time we did it, we were together and pretty much been together ever since. And um, and and then they offered us a, um, another space there. And I wrote and, wrote and directed um, a, a play that was on at the the lyric in one of their dark periods and um and loads of people from drama school came down to see it i must have been in my second year at right. that point and everybody and i'd use i was using two actors three actors in the play that were in my year at drama school and i was using the um the main actor was one of my mates from the um the youth theater which wasn't a youth theater anymore by that point we'd become a kind of de facto theatre company so right. um, so I wrote this play this four-hander and used three people from drama school and one who um, who wasn't so loads of people from drama school came down and um, I don't know what it was that they were expecting but I know they weren't expecting what they saw because I just the conversations afterwards were you know um, they were bloody hell um, I, everybody seemed so shocked Everybody was like, um, uh, that's quite good, actually. And I was like, what were you, what were you, what expecting? Were you ex- expecting? And they were going, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's professional. And I was like, yes, that's no what shit. we're trying to do. Isn't it? Yeah. And so that I, there was a slight different take on me. They kind of loosened the reins on me a bit at drama school and let me go off and do the odd gig here and there, mm. even before I left drama school. So they kind of allowed me to navigate um, things outside of drama school. So I already, um, from that play, um, I I only ever knew, had heard of or met one proper agent who was um, the agent to um, a friend of mine. 
And, um, and he was always saying, you know, when you're ready and you're looking for an agent, just let me know. So um, I invited him to my third year, second year shows, you know, the kind of, um, yeah. I just, you know, said I'm, you know, coming to the end of my second year, going into my third year, you said to get in contact with you. And if I was, um, when I was ready to look at an agent and he said, um, I've been waiting for you to get in contact with me and I've been to see three of your shows already. Come in and have a chat with me. So I went in and had a chat with him and he laid it out, what he would do and what was there. And I signed up and we were, I was with him for 10 years. So, um, it, you know, those, those big moments in this game, in, in your trajectory towards being an actor, um, for me, were um, I, I came out of most of them relatively unscathed, I, I think. And I was very conscious of that point, at that point of, because you had to be, really. I was very conscious of stuff I would do and stuff I wouldn't do. And, um, right right and from part, the start. Right from the like start. That. And it was partly the reason... I remember there was a... Speaking of father figures, there was um, an actor... When I was at the National Youth Theatre, um, uh, an actor that I knew was doing a play, a prison play, American prison play, at the Man in the Moon in Chelsea... Mm. It was kind of fringe theatre. He was doing that and he had to drop out because I think he got, he got a big telly gig and he got out. He got dropped out and they went looking for uh, someone to take his place and they picked me out of the National Youth Theatre. So I went from the National Youth Theatre to doing my first kind of... It was profit share, but it was yeah, my first professional still. gig. Yeah. And it was all proper and professional actors and there were two actors in the... In the um, in the company, one was a guy called Rolf Saxon, who was is an American actor who had, I think he had moved to England for drama school and just stayed on afterwards. And they were both American. The other one was a guy called Guy Gregory, who was a kind of flamboyant African-American um, actor. And um, both of them kind of took me under their wing and looked out for me and gave me kind of strong advice. And Guy was very good to me about your responsibility as, as a black actor, the things that are going to be asked of you, the questions that you need to ask yourself, um, the choices that you need to make should you be lucky enough to be to have choices. Um, and I'm and one of the and one they one they knew when they knew I think it was Rolf who said it to me, but when he knew that I was um, a writer and that I had written, he said, write as much as you can because that will offer you some kind of protection and the stuff you'll write will be different to what anybody else is writing. So I left drama school um, soon after I, um, I left drama school, I started writing for the bill and I thought that I would probably end up, certainly in the early times, doing more writing than I was going to do acting. But um, it just didn't go that way. The acting no. kind of took off. Did you feel that um, because you were a black actor or that it was drummed into you that you thought, oh, well, I'll just do the writing? Um, no, it was because, um, you know, when I came out of drama school, it was a good time to be a black actor, yeah. if in all honesty, because, you know, people were turning their attention 
to that and um and and I was part of a generation that were that was coming out of drama school the kind of first big generation that was coming out of drama school and I worked I could work all all the time yeah. but you know my my family um were responsible and conscious black people and and I grew up um very much around the sound of black people watching television seeing black people on television mm. when a lot of the times we didn't but when we did one of the things that was kind of said is what's that saying about us that the 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 rep- the, thi- the person we were seeing on television whether they liked it or not was a representation of us they were they their response they were saying something about black people that reflected on us and um and it was just and so that phrase what's that saying was always right at the front of my head in the you know again in the choices i i made and i was lucky enough that i could say to people out loud um i'm not playing any stereotypical roles or roles yeah. that would become stereotypical and i had to it's one of the reasons i think i stayed with my agent as long as possible because he understood it wasn't that i was saying i wasn't going to play bad people it was just that if i was going to play a, you know someone who was criminal or something like that he had to be a whole character it it, it couldn't just be the minute be you walk on and yeah the yeah, minute you walk on and see me it's like oh you're you're the black guy you're the criminal so even though I was writing for the bill, I was never in the bill. Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, did, you, did you feel a sense of responsibility uh, to, 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 you know, to try and make a change of that, or certainly change yeah. it, certainly within yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, again, um, uh, I was always really good at at listening to advice. Um, you know, so when I got out of drama school. Quite early on, I got this fantastic job in the West Indies. It was a four-parter for um, Channel 4, and it was called The Orchid House, and it was based on a big um, uh, novel that was set in um, Dominica during the, the, the First World War and the Second World War and told the story of this um, white West Indian, white expat family mm in the West Indies and the, 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 the story of their three daughters. Um, mother, father, three daughters and all the things that they got up to in their journey between the, the war. And I was a lovely part I was offered was this kind of student revolutionary who started the art, who was started the island's fight for independence. And I was playing a real, a real person. And it was lovely. And it was Francis Barber and Kate Buffery and Elizabeth Hurley and Nigel Terry and Diana Quick and Carmen de Sautoy, Madge Sinclair. Uh, it was an amazing cast. Indra Ove. It was an amazing cast. And it was, there were fantastic parts for about seven women. And I had a really lovely, lovely part in it. And it was directed by Horace Ove. And Horace Ove is, was, is, um, he's like the grandfather of black filmmaking in the UK and he's from Trinidad, he's from my family's island and um, he's an amazing, gregarious, political 
switched on, clued in, serious, funny, revolutionary filmmaker. He made the first skateboarding movie in the UK. He made the first reggae documentary in the UK. He was he's the grandfather of filmmakers, the godfather of film black filmmaking in 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 the UK. And um and he was another person who very much just invited me into his family and took me under my under his wing and was always there to bounce ideas off and bounce thoughts off. And if I had a choice to make, you know, I would phone Horace and kind of go, what do you, what do you think? You know, but, and he was always, always, always and, um, um, there for me. And, um, and so he was someone who um, I would sit with and talk to about the responsibility we had and whether we liked it or not the journey that we were on as black artists um um from uh, an ethnic minority in the sense that we weren't we weren't artists in an in a predominantly black country we were artists in a predominantly white country and what came along with that and how we could navigate it and horace was one of those people who kind of said to me you know that the life of an actor is navigating your options and navigating your luck that's how you that's to a greater or lesser extent how you build a career and and your options you have to be lucky enough to have them and i was lucky enough that i was being offered enough work that i could say i'm not doing that yeah um i'm not doing stuff stuff like that and it wasn't the end of the end of me um, and that I was supported by um, my agent and my agency. So, and after a while, you know, I say it to um, to um, uh, young actors now when they ask me if you've got any kind of advice. I say always remember that the thing it is as important for you the things you say no to as the things you say yes to. Absolutely. And um, and for and certainly for black actors of my generation, that was. That was really kind of important. And we never held it, you know, against people who, you know, basically, you know, I don't have to pay anybody else's mortgage. I don't have to put anybody else's kid through school. So the choices that you make in order to make your decisions, that's entirely up to you. But as much as possible, um, I would always fight for um, the characters that I I was playing to um, my mantra was is that they've got that they were it's everything and nothing to do with being black and you know sometimes it's part of the story sometimes it's not just like sometimes it's at the front of my day and sometimes it's not because I got the mortgage and I got the school fees and I got run off to ballet with my one of my girls or do whatever I've got to do that you know it's got to be reflective of what my life was and I wanted it to be reflective of my life and made those choices you know, um, as I went along. Sometimes those choices are about avoiding negativity and sometimes they're just about avoiding kind of repetitiveness. So I think, for example, to date, I must have turned down playing Othello, I would say, easily 25 times. Right. (laughs) Just because a part of me is still going... Really? Me, a fellow. And I go, you know, 
I'm, uh, firstly, I'm, I'm not absolutely sure I'm the obvious choice for him. Um, but a lot of the times when people say, do you want to do Othello? I, I, what they're really saying is, I really want to do Iago. Will you, do, <laughs> will you be the other fella? <laughs> and I'm like, nah, you're all right. Um, so, yes, I've got to navigate it. I'll be uh, uh, certainly an actor of my generation, but I think the generations coming up now are feeling it just as much. That there is that we do have a we do, we do have a, um, a a responsibility and we are you know even when we're not looking for it some it will kind of come up like I wrote an episode of my first episode of the bill I um, I, I I wrote my first episode of the bill and it got it got made and um, and then I got a telephone call from uh, the publicity department in the bill saying, um, do you realise you're the first black writer to have an episode of the bill produced? And I was like, you're fucking kidding me, aren't you? And they went, no, isn't that fantastic? And I went, fantastic? You're having a laugh, aren't you? The amount of time, the, the length of time you've been on and the number of black actors that you use and this is the, I'm the, I'm the first. Oh, where it's set. Where it's, I'm the first. <laughs> the fuck? And then, and poor, poor lady didn't know what, what was that, what hit her. She was going, yeah, but, you know, I mean, produced, you're just the first produced. And I was going, I'm really sorry, but you people should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, and she was like, tracking? and she was like, oh, because we were wondering whether or not you would do some publicity to to say that. And I was like, what, publicity to say what? Look at me, I'm the token black writer who's got through. No, I'm not doing that. And so I said no. And then I phoned um, a mate of mine, um, Eddie Nesta, who um, uh, uh, is on the radio now. And I phoned him up and said, can you believe this? And he said, I think you should do, I think you should do the interview. And I said... Why? And he said, I think you should do the interview to, to encourage more black writers to come and write for the bill. I think you should turn it into a thing and say, I'm doing this. The reason why I'm doing this is because I'm the first. And that yeah. is not something to celebrate. That is something <clears throat> to, um, to deal with. Put a with, spotlight on, yeah. To put a spotlight on. So put, he said, put the spotlight on. So, <laughs> so I have to call back this lady. And she... <laughs> Obviously saw it was me calling and went, I'm having no more of that and didn't answer. So I had to call no back way. like three times. I, poor cow. I had to call back like three times to, till I finally, till she finally answered. And I said, listen, I, um, uh, I will actually do, I will actually do the interview in order to get people to, uh, um, to more black writers to write. Which absolutely fantastic. That's a great idea. That's lovely. That's brilliant. We'll love that. So will you come down and take some photographs? And I went down to the set to take the um, some photographs. Will Johnson and... Oh, Rudolph Walker, who's in EastEnders. Rudolph yeah. and, and, and Will Johnson were in my episode, along with um, the actor who played Burnside. And I went down and took some photographs with... Will and uh, Rudolph and took some photographs with, I think his name was Chris, Chris something or other, who played Chris, Burnside. Chris Ellinson or Ellinson. Edison. Ellinson, yeah, wasn't it? Ellinson, yeah. something Burnside. like that, yeah. Who had a spin-off. Who had a spin-off a, called Burnside, spin-off. yeah. He yeah, was very, very popular on the show. And um, I went down and took photographs and did the interview and all of that. <laughs> Cut to 
Um, about two a week, two weeks later, I uh, someone sent me a clipping from the newspaper saying, oh, you look good in this photograph. And it was a photograph of me and Burnside, me and Chris from my episode. But the article was about Chris. It wasn't about the things that I had said it. And underneath the photograph of me and Chris, it said, Burnside makes another arrest. What? Yeah. So the photograph was in... Um, was in the, I think it was the standard or something, and it was my photograph of which I had taken because I was the first black writer to have an episode produced, but they had given it to the newspaper as a still from from the show, and underneath the, on my photograph it said, Burnside makes another arrest. So I phoned them up, like, oh my livid. God. I phoned oh them up God. like, what, what is going on? Before I could get two words out of my mouth, she said, listen, I'm really, really sorry about the article that went out in the star. And I went, I haven't, I haven't seen the article in the star. <laughs> oh, my God, it I'm gets talking, worse. I'm talking about the one in the standard. What did the one in the star say? And he said, oh, well, you know, someone, they wanted a still of, from the show and someone saw your photograph with Burnside and assumed it was a still from the show Whoa. and just sent it to the star and 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 the Daily Mail and <gasps> and I was like it's, it went out into three newspapers all of them <sighs> with my photograph Fuck all of them hell. saying that Burnside was arresting me and um, and I was like what does that say about your show that yeah. if there's a blackface in the photograph with um, one of your characters, you don't even have to check it. You don't Just, even have to check it. You can automatically assume that the black fella's a criminal and, and he's getting send, arrested. That's and it. getting arrested and, and send it out there. And I was gutted. She was like, "Well, all, all I can say is I'm sorry." And I said, "All I can say is I don't want. I can't do any. I can't work with you people. I can't no. do anything." I was like, "Except I was. You know, I wasn't." feel sorry for her now but I wasn't that polite I just went all I can do is take your F off I'm afraid and ended the phone call but it was a it was a real play, mate. fucking hell it was a real lesson where you just kind of go oh well there you go And but I was oh my god I was just furious just the long way round that it went and so you know because you're not always in charge of it and you're not always um, in in the the lead of it, then yeah, you have to be you have to be very much aware of um, of your role in it. Like I say, whether or not you whether you like it or not, because it's happening. Yeah. So Lenny, what took you to the states? Because everything was, you know, you've always everything was you've always worked. You know, you've always been here. You've always been the everybody knows what you do. What, what, I, was the, what was the reason? I had a few friends, good friends, who had come to the States. My mate, um, Eamon Walker, had gone to New York to do Oz, and my friend Marianne Jean-Baptiste had kind of, after um, Secrets and Lies, had uh, come over to do Without a Trace, and yeah. I had a couple of other mates, Trevor Etienne and Gary McDonald, who were also out here trying to make it a go, and particularly my mate, Trevor Etienne, um, 
every time I saw him, he would kind of, whenever he was back in London, he would say, you should come out then. I just think it will work for you. I just think it would, I just think it would. And, and I'd had a, um, uh, a couple of, uh, requests or people who had kind of said, um, you should try your luck in America. And, um, and I didn't, I was bringing up my kids. Um, I saw myself very much as a Londoner. I had doors to beat down and glass ceilings to get through, um, back at home. I had, I had things to focus me yeah. and I was, I wanted to stay, I wanted to kind of stay home. And also going to America at that point very much was about you either went to New York or you went to LA. Mm. And although I had a kind of passing, um, uh, knowledge of New York, um, LA just scared the hell out of me. To be absolutely honest, the whole description of it, it just seemed all a bit big to me. All and a soulless. bit Yeah, all a bit yeah. all just a bit big. And and I had gone in ninety-six, um just a mate of mine was was doing a really big film. I mean a really big film in, in America. And um he got tickets to the premiere of his movie, but he ha- happened to already be in um, America, already to be in LA doing another film. Um, so he sent me the one of the tickets and um, to fly over. And basically my job pretty much was to stand next to him and just keep him calm, keep him keep his feet on the ground because the whole town kind of went crazy for him right. um, over this period of time in a way that it, it does. And I think he just needed a mate. Um, kind of, you know, next to him. I mean, his his wife was there, but he just needed a mate, just to, yeah. just to kind of go, oi, dude, um, yeah. time to go. And um, so I went out and got a look at it, and just by standing next next to him and going to a few parties and witnessing um, how LA shine can shine a light on you. Um, I got a couple of interviews where people just went, "Will you come in and see us? Um, see what you know. See what." And you know, so I spoke to a couple of people. But I, like I said, I was I was a bit scared of it. I was glad that I was glad when the six days or whatever it was was over, um, and I was staying up on the Sunset Strip as well. So I was mm. right in the middle of the flashing lights and the big billboards and and all of that. So, um. I was a bit kind of frightened of it, but, you know, when we did Snatch, um, a few guys went over to America when the premiere happened <clears throat> and um, and I couldn't go because I was doing another film. And then when 24-Hour Party people came out, a few people, when it went to America, a few people went with it to America, yeah. did that premiere thing. Um, I didn't go because I was, I think I was doing a play at that particular time. But just coincidentally, two two things kind of happened, kind of two major things kind of happened. One was um, I did my first big lead of a television series for Channel 4, a thing called Buried. Which um, amazing. That was amazing. Yeah. Do you know that was my first audition out of drama school? Oh, you're kidding me. No. It seemed like everybody auditioned for Yeah, I had to come buried. twice to Manchester on the train. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, so I did, uh, I could tell you a story about Buried. Anyway, um, 
I did uh, 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 Buried, which was actually also my first introduction to... To Simon and World. To Simon and World yeah. and stuff like that. And it, it was... Um, oh, fuck it, I'll tell you. So... We can always I, put it I got a, I got a television... This is going to take a little bit of time, but you can no, edit it and cut it down, right? We've got loads so, of time. It's 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 Saturday morning. I'm I'm back. I'm uh, at home, um, uh, uh, just getting up, and I get a telephone call from Stevie G from Stephen Graham. Yeah, and um, and he he calls me Uncle Lenny, and he goes, Uncle Lenny, have you um, have you seen this thing buried? And I went, No, what is it? And he and he said, It was this um, thing about a guy who goes to prison, and I've just I've just read for it, and I, while I was reading it, I was just thinking. That 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 part's you. That's part you. You'd be you'd you'd kill in this part. And I was going. Have I not heard about it? And he was going. I don't know, but you should get your your people onto it. So I phoned my agent on the Monday and said, um, "Fee, what's this thing buried?" She goes, "I know. I've been trying to get you into in for it, but um, they won't see you." And I went, "Well, why why not?" And they go, "They just won't won't see you." And I go, "Well, can I have a can I have a read of it?" And she went, well, I've got, I've got a copy, but you can't tell anybody you've read it um, because, uh, you know, they, they're, they're being very tight about who gets the, the whole script and who doesn't get the whole script. And yeah. um, so I read it and I was like, this is fantastic. Why am, I, why am I not being seen for this? So I phoned her back and I went, I've read it. I think it's fantastic. Why won't they see me? And they said, they said something like you're too familiar a face on television. So, and they want complete unknowns. And I was like, that's just bollocks. Can you not see if you can get me in? And she was like, I'll try, but they, they won't. So she tries and they won't. And I'm like, well, that's annoying. And then about two weeks later, I, she phones me up and says, um, they're only seeing people in Manchester. They're willing to see you, but you're going to have to get yourself there on your own. And... Um, and I was like, all right. And my, my missus is like, you're not driving all the way to Manchester for people who don't want to see you. And I was like, I think it's a really good part. And she was going, you're not driving all the way to Manchester for people who don't see you. Well, have you got no shame? And I was like, well, I think it's a good part. It's a lead part. And um, I, I, I think I could, I could do stuff with this one. So I'm going. And um, so I jumped in my car <laughs> and I drove four and a half hours or whatever it was to, to Manchester, turned up on the doorstep. Everybody and his uncle were, was there auditioning and they were doing really long, windy, windy auditions where people were, uh, everybody was reading the same stuff, but people were uh, having to improvise and do oh, all that. Oh, yeah. I was sat waiting for, uh, after my time, I was supposed to be there, I don't know, I think I had a two o'clock appointment or something. I went in to, um, to see them at about 4.30, something like that. Yeah. Livid. I remember. I was, yeah. I was livid. And I went in and I, I, they said, we're just, we're, can you just read the thing? So I just read the thing. They went, thank you very much. And then that was it. And I was like, okay, okay. So I got back in my car, drove home, and I was like, Okay, well, my, my missus was right. Shouldn't have done that. Just one? And just one take? One. No, oh. I got to read it twice. Right. I, you know, I, I'll be on, I, I got to read it twice. And then, cut to uh, about three weeks later, um, 
I um, my, I'd spoken to my agent afterwards, and they said she said um, I don't you know they they are looking at, and she named another actor who um, they were interested in, and I was like, okay, fair enough, he's a good actor, so all, all's well, sweet, cut you know cut it off, and in the meantime, I um, I auditioned for this um, Hollywood film, and um, and I got this Hollywood film, so. Um, uh, that was going to be shooting in the States. And, it, you know, for a minute, it was a big deal. And um, But then I got a phone call from from the buried people saying that they would like to see me again and would I come back to Manchester. And I went, I'm not driving all the way to Manchester for two minutes or whatever it was. And my agent said, no, this time they'll pay for, pay for you. So I went, all right, I'm going first class on the pla- on the train. Yeah. So <laughs> Back in the day when they paid for recalls. Back in the day <laughs> yeah. when they paid for recalls. So they paid for me this time and I went back up and, um, and uh, I went in and I kind of, and it was another really long, wieldy thing. And we did, did it and I read it and we did a couple of improvisations and we did a couple of stuff. And then I came out and I literally had to wait for two and a half hours. And then they called me back in to do this improvisation with some other people and the improvisation. And by this point, I was like, either you know it or you don't know it. But the improvisation they'd set up was I was kind of like stepfather to these two younger uh, guys and one of the brothers thinks that I've been being a bit handy with his mum, like I've hit his mum, and he confronts me in order to do it. And it was this really sweet guy. I can't remember his name, but he ended up being in it. And he was a really sweet guy, kind of really raw kind of actor from Manchester. And um, and we're doing the scene, and he's he's doing really good. And the director. Who was the who I you know already knew was the one of uh, uh, Lenny James. He's been on too many things on the telly. Hasn't he been in Cold Feet or something? And um, <laughs> and he's he's geeing him up and geeing him up and all of that sort of stuff. And it gets to the point as you would the the kid puts hands on me. So the kid in the improvisation kind of grabs a hold of me. And usually that's the point when someone will call it stop, but this director's letting it go and letting it go and, and, and kind of grab me. So I was like trying to act out of it and, the, you know, the kid is just going for it. You could see in his eyes yeah. he's in it. And I had, to, I had to down this kid. So in the, in the improvisation, I had to pin him down on the floor and hold, hold him down. So this is me in the impro trying to hold it together, trying to, you know, show that I'm, I'm there. Pinned this guy down on the, on the floor like this. Looked up at the director and went, are we done now? And he went, sorry. And I went, are we done now? And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went, good. We're done. Well done, kid. Really, really well done. Really well done. And I was like, all right. And then I walked, I walked out and sat, and, and sat down. The casting guy goes, I don't think, I mean, I think we'll just call you, Lenny. You don't have to wait around. You don't have to wait around for this. So I went, cheers. All right, nice. And I, and I went out, had a drink with... Um, uh, with one of the other, uh, with a couple of the actors and the ac- and the actresses involved, we jumped on the train and went back down, and um, and then they offered it to me, um, but then I had to make this decision. I had a weekend to make this decision about this Hollywood movie that they had offered me, which was a, was also a bucket load of change, yeah, or buried, which was great, but 
no money and I had just become I'd just gone from being a father of one to a father of three mm. and uh, and I had to go back and forth over the to deal with it and in the end I said yes to Barry because as I said to my missus I can Im- I can imagine being on the set of the Hollywood movie where I'm the guy behind the guy behind the girl behind the guy um, and being there in in a night shoot and in the middle of nowhere going, wish I'd done Buried. Mm. But I can't imagine <laughs> being on Buried, doing what I knew by that point I had a chance to, to kind of do, thinking I wish I was in the middle of nowhere behind all of those people. So I, I said yes to Buried. But I had, you know, I did it and it was a, and it did well. It won a BAFTA. Yeah. I got I got good re- reviews for it. Directly after it was like my longest period of unemployment, and um, and I think it was it was something that I had kind of said to you on coming out of um, line of duty is that you you're suddenly put in another group. Mm. You're suddenly seen in another group of of, of of actors, and I was suddenly in the group of leading men, um, but I was on a, a, a low run. So now when stuff came in, I'm, you know, they're only looking at me if they're looking at me as a leading man. So consequently, if I, if I want to keep doing that, I got to wait around. So mm. I was kind of waiting around. So that was going on. And also at the same time, I, um, I destroyed my knee. I severed my patella and lost my kneecap up my thigh doing and what? had to, Playing football, obviously, uh-huh. and kind I of. Did, I um, don't know. I'm the least sportiest person you know. That <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> and um, and uh, and so I had to have a major operation, and um, I was in a cast for um, for like three three months, three and a half months, and my leg withered. I had to rebuild my leg. I had to learn how to God. walk all over again, and I was suddenly aware that although I was the perception was that I was, you know, doing all right. Um, you know, if, if it was all kind of taken taken away by this accident, because I couldn't work, couldn't drive a car, couldn't do, you know, literally couldn't do anything, um, that I didn't really have anything, any security, anything to kind of fall back on. Yeah. And, um, and those kind of two things together, um, after I was doing, I did this film called Sahara, and it was going, it was having a big um, uh, LA kind of premiere mm. and they offered to fly me over and put me up in a hotel for two days. And uh, so I said, yeah. And I turned it into a week stay. Um, I asked my agent, you know, to see if she could organise some meetings with some agents and managers. And I, I did that thing that people did back then, which was to go out there on spec for uh, a week and spend two days in a hotel and four days on my mate Trevor's couch. And I went out to meetings and I landed um, an agent at a uh, one of the big agencies. I landed an agent and he just said, come out and let me show, show you, just give me three weeks. And I said, okay, and organised it with my missus. And a year after I had... Um, uh, signed with him, I just chanced my arm and just decided to go out and 
have a go. And it was only really about um, opening up options, like I said, just, you know, opening up the possibilities of other places to work. And because here I also felt like people, there was a feeling that, um, uh, that there was a feeling of people, some people would say it out loud, you're doing all right, you should be happy. And I was doing all right and I was happy, but it wasn't the limit of my ambition. I still had other things I'm wanting to do and Mm. other, you know, you know, um, uh, possibilities I wanted to explore, and one of those was what what could America offer? And I was 39, 40, so I was a grown up. I was comfortable in my skin. Um, you know, my kids were at an age where I could spend three weeks away from them, and I did. And I went to America and um, went to LA and stayed on my mates in my mates kind of lo- like small like. Uh, loft room above his front room and um, and I went out to I went out to meetings and I started landing gigs and then I had to decide on a gig and I decided on it and it came basically came I was done after two weeks and signed up for a television show kind of came back home and and then did the pilot and then the pilot got picked up to a television series and then I, the television series got cancelled and then it um, it got the fans of the show went to war with the network and they won the show back. So the show came back and wow. then it got kind of cancelled again. And by that time, um, after the first season, uh, I, I had just spent too long away from home. Um, but I had to sign up um, at the top of it for six years. Oh, God, sorry. So, so the family was still in the UK at this time? For when I did the first season of Jericho, yeah. Fuck, I didn't know that. I thought they'd come over with you at that point. No, no, they didn't come over until <sighs> the second series. And in between the first series and the second series, when I had, um, when we had uh, signed the kids into school, paid for school, got some place to live. Yeah. Just as we did that, that's when they cancelled the show. And I was like, but my whole family are coming over. <laughs> and um, and then they uh, brought the show back, but then all the writers went on strike. So again, I was suddenly in America uh, with my whole family having m- moved them over, um, with my kids having different degrees of hating being in America and away from family and friends in the UK um i you know again sat on my backside for a bit and then um and then gradually it started to work for me over here so um and and all of a sudden in mostly the reason why we spent so much time over here is um the shows take a long time so walking dead is 7 months of the year when i did um low winter sun that was 7 months of the year um uh, so that takes a kind of long time. But also my kids were, by that point, my kids were in school here. Yeah. So we kind of had to see it out um, until they got the other side of school before we contemplated, you know, what else we would do. I mean, obviously, I, you know, I've been doing this quite a long time and I understand that everything happens for a reason and the choices that you make have knock-on effects. But do you think... You moving to America and having that level of success over there, 
therefore then created opportunities and opened more doors to give you more creative freedom over here. And obviously I'm talking about... Uh, I'm, talk- I'm basically talking about Save Me, really. Do you think... Um, you well, you, both... That I help? mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it also helped for Line of Duty. It also helped for Critical. Critical it yeah. were, um, also helped for, for Run and, um, and other things, without doubt. I mean, whether that was... Whether it was people kind of um, the powers that be saying yes when my name was suggested, but I think it also gave confidence to um, uh, to people like Jed and Simon that when they went, actually, the person we want for this is Lenny, that a lot of the conversations that they might have had to have before, they didn't have to have. Yeah. That, that suddenly the BBC were going, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, um, and it was an it was an it basically it, it allowed an easier yes, as opposed to them trying to find reasons to say no, um, and yes, it absolutely kind of um, uh, it made a difference. But it also, in a weird way, being a um, drama school trained, um, theatre seasoned. Um, uh, actor from the UK helped me in America. Right. So it's a nice balance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it helped me, you know, when I, you know, because when I auditioned for, uh, when I met on uh, for Jericho, um, I was the first actor in to read for the part that I was reading for. Um, and it was my first ever audition in, a, in, a, in America. Was it? <laughs> yes. So it was my first ever audition in America, and I was the first person reading the part. And um, and uh, and I for them, I've spoken to them subsequently um, about it. And they and they um, John Turtletarb, who was the um, director of the first yeah. first episode um, and the kind of overseeing director of the whole thing, um, he was he, he kind of came in. He said, "We just didn't know where you come from." <laughs> Because you were a grown-up, but none of us had any idea who you were. And you just, you came in, you read it, and when you left the room, he said, when he left the room, he turned to the, he turned to the other people in the room and goes, are we really going to give it to the first person who just walked in the room? Are we, we're going to have to see somebody else, aren't we? And they went, yeah, 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 we've got other people for you. And he went, good, because there's no way we're giving it to him. <laughs> because I can't, we can't give it to the first person who walks into the room. And then they were like, we have to give it to the first person who walked into the room. And they kind of um, offered it to me. And I, I think the fact that I arrived here knowing my job, but nobody here really knowing me outside of Snatch. Yeah. Um, it it obviously worked for me because I would walk in a room and they'd kind of go, uh, okay, and everybody wanted to feel like they discovered me. Yeah, for for a little bit, and I and I um, and I gained advantage out out of that. That yeah. you know that kind of let you know the same people who cast me in Jericho were the same people who put together a montage of my work to show to the director of The Walking Dead to say this is your Morgan Jones. Right. And he and he agreed with them. So um 
again, I kind of, I, I kind of lucked out. I arrived where I arrived at the right time. But yes, I do think it made a difference coming back home, and um, and again, it just made it. You know, by the time Save Me came around, you know, everybody's working on alg- algorithms. Everybody knows, you know, what you get by putting whoever in your particular show, and they obviously looked at my algorithm and and said it's worth a risk. You know, and in, and also Save Me in Sky Terms was a small little project in the corner that was Anne Mentor's baby. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, um, it's not that they weren't taking it seriously. It's just that it was, they, yeah, they, they, they had set it up that it was okay for them to take the hit. That they could afford to roll the dice on that. And also... Yeah, they could, they they fact, could afford to miss out. <laughs> the fact that, well, you know, they didn't. <laughs> we we know yeah. that now, but also you know you already had a history uh, and a great relationship with World, and, you know with Simon, so yeah. it ticked so many boxes. Yeah, but we were we were again you know what's in the kind of uh, uh, process of that, which is um, slightly different is that mostly the way that these things work is you have an idea, you take it to the production company, the production company works on it with you and then they take it to the network, um, you know, uh, the channel and the channel says yes and then you're a go. Um, we weren't in that situation. The situation we were in, which benefited us, was that um, Sky commissioned it directly. Anne commissioned it so that she could keep an eye on it, so that she could look after it, so that she could nurture it. She commissioned it. She commissioned the first episode. She commissioned the second episode. Then she said, you are green lit. Go and find a production company. So we were in a really... Oh, right. I didn't know that. Yeah, we were in a really favourable position. So I was then in this really weird position of, um, of auditioning production companies over Skype because I was in <laughs> I was in America yeah and then and I don't even know how you audition or meet with a production company in that position but it was me and um, Jess Sykes who's my literary edu- ed, um, um, agent and also um, co-exec producer with me on it because they also said that to us um, and said do you do you guys want to exec produce it and we were like I don't know. I've never done that before, but I think the answer to that question is yes. yes. I might be wrong, but I think the answer is yes. So we kind of sheepishly went, yeah, all right, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. So we were uh, all of a sudden exec producers, and um, and then we were auditioning um, uh, um, production companies. But like you say, I, I had had a... Um, uh, I'd worked once, twice, yeah, twice. Yeah, with, three, three um, times. Three times with yeah. World. Yeah, I'd worked three times with World, and um, and um, and I liked Simon, and he had also um, cursed him and Kirsty McDonald, mostly Kirsty at that point. Yeah, who was their kind of script um, boss. Um, she had been after me for a while to she's, write. She's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, she's absolutely fantastic. And she just, she every opportunity she got, she would go, what are you working on at the moment? What are you? And at that point, there was one point where I was, uh, I had um, 
I was working on an idea and an American idea out here. And she said, well, what's this? I, and she, she was straight on it. When I was back in London, she got me in for a meeting and when, you know, um, you should be writing for us. We should be, if you've got an idea, please bring us on. And she was all, they were always open. So, I mean, so pretty much once we, once we were in the situation of, uh, it was up to us who we worked with as a production company, it, the job was worlds to lose really yeah um they were they were without question our first choice and so we spoke to a another or maybe two others but it was um it was it was world I, that i felt i wanted to uh, i wanted to work with but also and, world have always been and it's honest i'm only saying that because they gave me one of my first jobs and i've worked for them loads they've always been ones that have taken chances yeah always right from yeah. the get go and there, you know, the legacy that Garnet left behind. Oh God, I know. Is what is is um, it, you know, if you look back on it, it's kind of something to behold and to be, you know, to be counted amongst that number, to be, um, you know, something on on which you know, world are uh, are saying we are the makers of. Um, is you know is is, uh, is is an achievement really, and they um, and you know uh, Simon and Kirsty certainly on the first one when she was there um, was just a just a godsend. They were just great. They really looked after me. They understood the situation I was in in writing and acting. They understood the journey that we would probably have to go on. They um, they made so many things possible so that I didn't have to worry or feel the pressure um, that was obviously there. They kept it at bay as much as they possibly could, yeah. and they were, um, they were kind and considerate and clear and, you know... Obviously supportive. They were incredibly supportive. Yeah. I mean, they, they got to a point where they got an office on the floor below theirs for me so that I could get in there and finish writing the scripts. So I could... So I, you know, I... They got me over early. They, um, uh, I was staying on uh, on the on Bankside. I would walk over the Millennium Bridge. I would go through St Paul's, and I would. This is when they had offices in Moorgate. Yeah, it was the most fantastic walk to work. I would get in the lift. I'd go up to the eighth floor. I'd go into this tiny little office, and I'd just write it out. And every now and then, they would check on me to make sure I was all right. Um, and then you know they would read what I'd written, they'd give notes as quickly as possible and I'd and they'd let me and they'd let me go. And they were they were great people to break the story with. They were great they were they were just they were just the fantastic partners. Lenny, um it seems so long since me and you have had a conversation. And then in the space of this How long week, have we been nattering for? Uh, we've been nattering Two and a half a, hours, yeah. dude. But the thing is, I haven't done this podcast for what seems to me like an eternity for many, many reasons, uh, a lot of them that you know. Um, yeah. And I can't think of anybody else um, that I would have wanted to come back on to, to kickstart the podcast again. Um, oh, thank you very much. Because I've just adored this. And it, even in the almost 10 years that that we've been mates. There's so many things that I've discovered about you today and, I, and I've just loved it. I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. I've loved it. 
Not at all. It's been an absolute... I'm just glad we finally got to bloody do I it. I know, I know. That's I'm what just... I'm, I'm... And also just to spend a... I mean, in, in, I mean, this is normal now, actually. Yeah. Speaking to people... I mean, you know, back when we were we would have first done this, if we had said, oh, we'll just end up doing it over Skype, I'd be like, no, we've got to be in the room together. I know, exactly. That's what I That's what I conversation. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, doing it this way just feels normal. And it does feel, I mean, it's weird. I, I don't feel like I've been yabbering on for two and a half hours. No, I feel like I've neither. just been, I feel like I've just been, well, I have been just sat chatting with a mate. Yeah. So it's, um, it's lovely. I'm bound to go and my missus will be going, what did you say that for? Why did you say all of that? <laughs> that people are going to hear that. But I don't feel like there's anything I would go, um, don't put that out. I've loved it. Loved it. Lenny James, thank you so much for coming on the Two Shot Podcast. I love you lots and I really miss you. Thank you very much, matey. I miss you too. Take care. And another episode is done. Look, I mean, if you're going to come back after uh, such an extended break as we have then hopefully you come back stronger than ever. And I really, really think we have. After I finished recording, I was on the phone to a, a friend of mine. And I, I was buzzing. It was, it was like I'd been at work. It was like I'd just come off stage or I'd just finished a big scene. And it was great. It was just great to get back in the saddle, so to speak. Um, I won't lie. I was nervous. Even though it's Lenny. And he's a really good friend I've known for years. I had no plan that it was going to go on uh, as long as it did. Because you know what these conversations are like. They're one-offs. They're organic. And, you know, apart from us both need the toilet, I reckon we could have gone on a bit longer too. But I'm thrilled. I think we were both shocked that it was two and a half hours. It was Lenny that went, that was two and a half hours. But it was great. It was just great. And as you heard on the podcast, we've been planning that ever since the podcast started. You know, we've been talking about it. But it was really nice, as I I think I said in the conversation, you know, to, to go full circle and start this podcast off with Vicky and have this this break that it wasn't intended to be this long if I'm honest it really wasn't and um, it, I'll really try my best that it, it won't be as long again because you know I need this podcast as much as you and as soon as we can't actually see people or be with people that much anymore at the moment it'll come back it'll come back don't worry and because we are all human beings therefore we are all social animals and we crave that interaction um this is the only way we're doing it at the moment so i really really hope you enjoyed it and i hope you got some out of it and i hope you got to know lenny a bit more than any interviews that you've read or or you've heard because that's that's the thing that's what I want I want you to get to know people in a in a slightly different way than what you've read or seen. Um and that's what we're doing and it's really good to be back. Now look, um I remember do you remember actually? I remember. I remember I said it. Do you remember when I said about new merch ideas now? We are gonna get some lovely, more beautiful 
gorgeous enamel badges done. We are toying with the idea of possibly a different design, or do you like that design? Do you want to keep that? Because we want to say a big thank you to a few certain people who have stuck with us and been there with us and for us um, during this this break and the pandemic. Um, so that's going to be happening. Uh, we, I have toyed with the idea of possibly some face masks. Do you think that's... Mm, uh, Griff's on the fence about it. I don't know. What do you think? Let us know. You can uh, email us, twoshotpod.gmail.com. Send us a message on Twitter. I've also thought what would be really handy, because everybody, everybody has them, and they're great, and they don't cost much, is tote bags. Everybody loves a tote bag, don't they? I want to try and find a company that does tote bags that are strong, lovely cotton and then we'll talk about uh, what design we're going to have on that I think that's a pretty good one you'd go with that wouldn't you yeah okay that's what we're thinking now uh, what else I've got to tell you uh, yes we are going to be back next Thursday I'm not going to tell you who it is what okay I'll give you a clue alright she is uh well, what isn't she? She's most definitely a BAFTA nominee. She's most definitely an Oscar nominee. Uh, she's a multi-award winning actress. Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say, but I'm really looking forward to it. I'm only saying because I haven't recorded it yet, and you know what I'm like, don't want to get all superstitious um, or ahead of myself because... We've only recorded one, and yes, I'm very excited to be back. But that's going to be happening next Thursday. And who knows? We'll just see. You know what it's like. Maybe it'll be another two-parter with the story she has. Well, it could possibly be a three We shall see. So look, you go and have a lovely weekend. From what I've seen, depending on where you are, certainly in the north of England and... Uh, the majority of the UK, it might be rain, but I'm sat here still in the park, sweating. It's so hot. I'm very muggy, but I feel uh, the storm is in the post. I'm not wishing it. It just may happen. So look, until next week, do, do take care of yourself, okay? I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. You take it easy. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. Cheers.